Welcome to the Unite Church podcast. For more information about Unite Church, visit unitechurchak.org. Now, enjoy this message from Pastor Zach Neese. So the last couple of weeks we've been talking about worship. Week one, we talked about actually exactly what Eleanor was just prophesying. We talked about Revelation 3, the church of Laodicea being neither hot nor cold because it's the only thing in the scripture that says that it makes God sick. We talked about having a passion for the presence of God. And where there's a people who are passionate for his presence, the Lord comes and he abides in that place. And he never shows up without his power abiding with him. Then on the second week, we talked about, so that's, that's what time is it, right? Then the second week, we talked about who are you. So let me see if anybody remembers. Who are you? Thank you very much. I appreciate it. You know, the, Bi- uh, the Bible says, there's an, there's an old saying that uh, when the student arises, the teacher will appear. So thank you, students, for arising, that you have been listening. I appreciate that. So the priest has three jobs. Job number one is to carry the presence of, of God. God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back up. My tongue is working faster than my brain is. Job number one is to carry the presence of God. Job number two is to minister to the Lord. Job number three is to bless the people. So I'm going to begin to unpack that a little bit. Today we're going to talk about the second of those three that we'd mentioned. How do I minister to God? And if I was going to break this down just into biblical terms, that question is really what you're asking. What is worship? How do I do? Worship is ministry to God. How do I do that? What does that look like? And we live in a world that has kind of made it a little bit more confusing for us because for the first time in history, we've taken what was meant to be ministry to God and we've actually marketed that thing to humanity. And I think that there are real benefits to that. For the first time in history, you can be driving down the road in a car and you can be joining someone in Australia in worshiping God. I think that's amazing. I think it's incredible that worship can go throughout the earth. You know, the word says that the glory of the Lord will cover the earth like the waters cover the seas. This is the first time in history that that's even possible. But it's also a little bit confusing because what was meant for God, you can purchase. It's shrink-wrapped. You can, you can download it. You can put it on your phone. You can show up, and, and it can be performed for you. And sometimes it feels like, what's my part? These guys do the worship. I'm just here to enjoy and to be a consumer. In fact, one time, I, I, I always told my students, never start out worship by saying, are you ready to worship? Like, that's the worst call to worship ever. So my brain was just scattered one day, and I stood up to the, to the mic, and I said, are you ready to worship? I said the thing I said never to say. And some guy in the back who was being honest said, no, that's your job. <laughs> and that's a, that's a sign that I'm a profound failure as a teacher if he actually thinks that worship is my job. Worship is not my job. We're priests. Worship is ministry to the Lord. That means right where you're sitting, where you live, whatever you do, you can minister to God. You can worship him. All right. So what we're going to do is we're going to go back and we're going to look at a couple of definitions. If you're a note taker, I would encourage you to write this down. I'm going to look at the actual Hebrew and the Greek words for worship. That won't take very long, but it's important because we just say the word worship. But did you know that there's not a single word in the Bible in the Hebrew or in the Greek for worship that has anything to do with music? How many of you knew that? 
There's not one word that we translate worship that has anything to do with music. Now, I'm not saying you can't worship with music. I think worship is an incredible, I think music is an incredible vehicle for worship. I mean, we were just worshiping God and we were using music to do it, right? But do you have to be a musician to worship God? Do you have to even be able to carry a tune in a bucket to worship God? No, I heard some of you guys singing and some of you guys sounded like angels and some of you guys sounded like you didn't bring your bucket with your tune in it today and it's all good. I'm just teasing. That's a joke. Don't take it personally. You know who you are. (laughs) But it's all good. It's all worship. We all sound like little kids to the angels anyway, right? But you do not have to be making music to worship God. The Old Testament word for worship is the word shacha. And you know what it means? It simply means to bow. That's all it means. Whenever you see the word worship in the Old Testament, you're looking at a word that means to bow. We're going to talk about that in just a little while. The New Testament word for worship, most often used, is the word proskuneo, and it has three aspects to the meaning. I don't know if you've noticed this, but a lot of times Greek and Hebrew words are much fatter than English words. They have so much more packed into them. We, we look at the word praise in the Bible. There are 11, 12, 13 different Hebrew words for praise. So when you see the word praise in the Bible, you should look up the Hebrew for what you're looking at because it may not mean what you think it means. And we just say praise. We'll talk about that another day. But the word worship means three things. It means to adore God. So there's, a, there's an aspect of the heart. Did you know that God is a love God? In fact, the Bible says God is love. So I know that there are some people that that really want to keep their relationship with God intellectual. They don't want their emotions to be touched. But when God shows up, he touches emotions because he's an emotional God. You can't help be touched, and he can't help but touch you. That's who he is. Part of what worship is is to adore him. And if I shut my heart off from God, I'm shutting off an aspect of my worship to the Lord. The second meaning is to prostrate yourself before God. Prostrate means to lay yourself completely flat before the Lord. So we've got an aspect of adoration, of love, and then we have this word prostrate, which means to lay yourself out completely before the Lord. So, so far we've got, there's love involved in worship, right? And there's lordship, there's submission to God involved in worship. And then the third meaning is to kiss the hand towards. And some people say it means to lick the hand like a dog licks its master's hand. I think that's pretty degrading. I don't think the bride of Christ is a dog, personally. It actually means to kiss towards. So there's an expression in your worship. You kiss towards someone because you feel something towards them, right? There's love, lordship, and expression. These three things added together equals worship. Say love. Lordship. Expression. Now, if you take love away and you just have lordship, you have legalism and dead religion. Right? Have you ever known a mean Christian that just obeyed the commandments because they were determined not to go to hell? (laughs) But they really didn't like anybody and you could tell? (laughs) That person has an issue. They've taken the love out of worship, so it's not worship anymore. Right? Right? 
If you take lordship out of worship and you only love, if it's only affection, if it's only emotion, that's called empty emotionalism. And that's not worship either. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Love and lordship are intermarried. And out of those two things comes the third, which is an expression. So if you love him and you submit to his lordship, but there's no expression, that's called hypocrisy. And that's why the world's so mad at the church right now. Love, lordship, expression. In fact, one of the greatest definitions, I think, in the entire word of God came out of the mouth of Jesus Christ himself in Mark 12, verse 10, when one of the Pharisees came up to him and said, what do you think is the greatest commandment? Jesus said this. Do you remember? What's the greatest commandment? Somebody start. Okay, stop. Love. Do you hear what you just said? The greatest commandment is love. The Lord, you see where we're going? He just told you what worship is. The greatest commandment is to worship the Lord. What is worship? Adoration and submission to his lordship. He says the greatest commandment is love the Lord. That's what we were just talking about. With what? With all of your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. What does that mean? Every aspect of your saved being an expression of your love and his lordship. That's what worship is, and that's what the greatest commandment is. All of my heart, that means my affections. What do you set your heart on? My emotions, what do I let myself feel? And what do I, when it's time not to feel that anymore, say, oh, going too far. That's love too. My affections, love the Lord with all your heart, with all your mind. What are my imaginations? What are my thoughts? What are my beliefs? When lies pop into my head, do I hold on to them? Do I cast them out? All of that is an expression of my love and his lordship. With all of my soul. What does that mean? That means my will. That means who I am. That means the expression of my personality. I love the Lord with every expression of my personality and every decision of my will. And then with all my strength. The Hebrew word for strength is actually, um, I mean, there's not a better way to say it. It means muchness. (laughs) Love him with your muchness. Get your muchness involved in it. When you're talking about your strength, you're talking about about what you do and how you do it, how much fire you put into it, how much you lean into it, the paths of your life and the actions of your life. That's your strength. Your strength is what you lay your hands to. Your strength is how you work. Your strength is how you treat people. Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your muchness, your strength. You get it? And if you do that, you will have done well. This is the greatest commandment. And that, my friends, is worship. You with me? All right, now I want to break those three down real quickly. We just talked about love. You know that love can't exist in a vacuum. Have you ever tried to love someone without ever expressing it? Anyone? I want to just do a quick poll, okay? Um, show me your hand if you're a wife. A wife. Yes, okay. Now, wives, this is my question. 
Would you marry a man, and I know you're already married, I don't want you to get in trouble, guy, and I don't want you to get elbowed. Would you marry a man who refused to ever demonstrate his love for you? He refused to, t- oh, that was quick. <laughs> Somebody back there is like, no. Listen, you didn't marry the man that you married because he never said I love you. You didn't marry the man that you married because he didn't want to hold your hand, because he didn't want to ever give you a kiss, because he didn't want to provide for you. You didn't, you didn't start this road with a guy that you knew would never show you love. Ladies, you wouldn't marry a guy like that. Men, if you're married, show me your hand. How many of you guys would like to marry a, a woman who is embarrassed for people to know thank you (laughs) never wanted to show you physical affection I've never met a man in my life look ladies you want to know the secret to a man's heart a man is like a puppy dog if you touch if you talk nice to him and scratch him on the belly he's happy (laughs) feed him at mealtime Talk nice to him. Scratch him on the belly. You got, a happy, you got a happy guy. He's just happy. But if you don't talk nice to him and scratch him on the belly, you got an unhappy guy. Guys, you don't sign up for a marriage like that. You don't want to marry a woman like that. So here's my question. What makes you think God wants to marry a woman like that? Do you think Jesus is coming for a bride who's a cold fish? Who's inexpressive? who will not open her mouth and say, I love you, and I love you so much, I don't care what any of these people think about it. And I'm going to show the world that I love you because I'm proud of you, God. I love you. I adore you. But we act like, oh, I'm just kind of a little bit embarrassed. You know, he actually says, if you're embarrassed of me before men, I will be embarrassed of you before my Father in heaven. Just so you know, quit it. It's stupid. It's a lie. It's the devil telling you that you should be embarrassed of the God who wasn't embarrassed to hang naked and bleeding on a tree for you. You don't have permission. (laughs) I revoke it. So in order to adore someone, you have to show them affection, right? That's why this definition has to kiss towards in it. Somebody kiss, kiss your hand towards me, somebody. Somebody brave. All right, thank you. I saw some right there. It's actually a dude, a really big, strong dude. Thank you. <laughs> I, used to have, I used to have a guitarist that during worship, he was such an amazing guitarist. But, but if you're a musician, you know you don't actually have to play notes all the time to be a great musician. And so he'd stop playing and he'd get down on his knees and he'd blow kisses to God. And it was even better worship than the music he was playing. My kids, when they were younger, I'd leave for work, and and you guys, tell me if you remember this. I'd get in my car, and I'd start to drive away, and the kids would run out, and they'd be be kissing me and hugging me, and I'd be driving down the street, and there's like this line of little kids running down the street following my car, and I'd drive slowly so they could wave. They're in their underwear. They're in their PJs. They're in their footy. They don't care. They just want to love on their daddy one more time before he goes to work. And they'd be blowing me kisses. Why do you blow somebody kisses? You blow them kisses because they're just a little bit further away than you wish they were. Because if they were any closer, you'd just do this. (laughs) 
there's something in the heart of a worshiper that just feels like, God, you're just a little further away than I wish you were. So your life blows kisses to him. I just want you to know I love you, and I want you to come a little bit closer. And every moment that you're away feels like a long moment. And even a little bit of distance between us feels like too much distance because you love him and because you're willing to express it. You know, there's a different way that you, you kiss different people, right? When I first got saved, I didn't like to even be touched. So I didn't like, somebody says, amen. Don't touch me either. Y'all got the plague. Keep your Corona AIDS away from me. <laughs> and so I walked into the church and all these people were like hugging me and I'm going, eh. Uh. And, and there was one of these guys in this church, this, this young adults group, like he just decided he adored me, and he was bigger than me, and there was nothing I could do about it, and he kissed me on the head one day. And I was like, oh. There's a way that you can kiss a really good friend and get away with it. I have two sisters. There's a way that I kiss my sisters. There's a way that you kiss your children. How many of you remember when your babies were little and they were like little Stay Puft Marshmallow men? They were like little Pillsbury Doughboys. You know what I mean? Like with rolls on their rolls on their rolls and every roll was so cute. Baby Judah right there, she was the chubbiest little baby ever. Like, like I could hold her like sitting and she was like, Burr. it was like she was that kid in the Christmas story in the snowsuit. I can't put my arms down because she just had so many rolls and they were all adorable. And Jennifer thought the kids had rashes all the time because I would just go and I'd kiss on their necks and I'd kiss on their armpits and I'd blow zerbits on their bellies. There's a way that you can kiss your kids that you can't kiss anybody else. Imagine if I kissed one of my friends that way. Because the more intimate your relationship the more demonstrative your love is, right? There's a way that I kiss my wife that I don't kiss anyone else in the world because she is my most intimate human relationship. How much more intimate is my relationship with God? And if my relationship is more intimate, how much more demonstrative should I be? I don't want hell to have to guess whether or not I love him. I don't want the world to have to guess. And I don't want Jesus to ever have to say to the angels, I think he loves me. He should never have to assume, even though he knows my heart. He should see my life like a love dance. When I first walked into the church, so I'd gone to church. My parents had taken me to church. We're off and on. We were, you know, army. So base churches are lame. I don't know how they are now, but when I was a kid, they were lame. So 
I hated church, didn't want to have anything to do with it. So when I first got saved, I refused to go to church. And finally, I had some friends who dragged me, kind of kicking and screaming, into church because I made these young Christian friends. By the way, if you're a young adult and you're saved, you need friends. Get people around you who will help you to stay accountable, who will encourage you, who will speak truth to you, who will lead you in God's paths of righteousness for the sake of his name. You need relationships like that. If you don't have relationships like that, you're doomed, I guarantee you. So I was really blessed to have some relationships like that. So they dragged me into the church, and I'm standing there just judging everything. These people are lifting their hands, you know, clapping, pretending like they like the bad music. I'm not saying this music was bad, this music was good, but I, okay. So I was a heavy metal musician when I got saved. <laughs> My mom wouldn't let me go on tour with Halloween because I was too young. <laughs> I played electric guitar. I learned how to play music with Metallica. And I got saved. And I didn't like Ron Cannoli. <laughs> and I didn't like Darling Check and Hill songs. And so I went to the church and I was like, this is so lame, judging everything. And as I'm standing there judging these people, I felt somebody shove me, put their hand on my chest and push me so hard that I rocked back on my heels. And I told you, I don't like to be touched. So I looked down to see who dared put their hand on me. And when I looked down, there was no hand on my chest. I felt fingers. I felt a palm on my chest, and it was pushing so hard, I came back on my heels like that. And I heard this voice in my head say, that is not yours to judge. That's mine. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I just thought this was like some game they do, like a three-ring circus. I didn't realize... I'm so sorry. And so it's like God opened my eyes and I began to look around and I saw people raising their hands and I realized they're not just doing that because that's a religious thing to do. That's a physical reflection of the posture of their heart towards God. That's integrity. They're permitting the posture of their body to reflect the posture of their heart towards God. I saw people clapping. They're not just clapping because they like the music. They probably don't like it either. They're clapping because Jesus is worthy. And they're allowing the posture of their body to reflect the posture of their heart towards God. He's worthy to be celebrated. He's better than football. He's better than basketball. He's better than hockey. He's better than hunting. I'm just saying. Here and there, there were a couple of people who were down on their knees. I wouldn't bend my knee to anybody. But you know what? That was the reflection of their heart towards God. They were submitted to a king that I just met. And I hadn't finished bending my knee to him yet. And then I looked up on the platform and there was a cross there. And maybe for the first time I realized that this is the physical reflection of the posture of God's heart towards me. Part of what worship does is it causes us in our lives, our thoughts, our imaginations, our passions, and our actions to reflect the posture of our hearts towards a God who was not ashamed to show us the posture of his heart. You get it? So it means to adore, 
it means to demonstrate that adoration with an expression, okay? And you can do it in the grocery store. You can do it when you're working on your car. You can do it in a conversation with somebody. In fact, the way you do it is with everything. You don't just do worship. You become living, breathing, walking, talking, living worship so that your entire life becomes an, a reflection of your adoration for God. You get it? Imagine a world like that. Imagine a Christianity like that. And I'm not judging. I'm just saying I know us. I am one. Are you okay? The third meaning is to prostrate. You know, it's funny. The Old Testament word for worship is the word shakah, which means to bow, right? right? If this is the Old Testament picture of worship, this is the New Testament picture of worship. You would think in the New Testament that he'd cut us some slack, right? But you don't understand. We bowed in the Old Testament because it was required of us. In the New Testament, we submit ourselves completely to a Lord who has won our hearts, and there's nothing I'd rather do than serve him with the entire rest of my life because I've been purchased by a God who loved me first. It's not hard to submit yourself to a God who submitted himself to the cross for you. And when you get it, you don't mind going low. If I'm not going low, I don't get it yet. I don't mind following this God. I want to. You all right? There's a story in Luke 8. You guys remember this. Jesus is in a boat. He goes across the Sea of Galilee, and he gets out of the boat in this area called the Decapolis. And as soon as he sets his foot on the ground, there's a call that goes out to every spiritual authority in the area. There's a man who's been living in the tombs. He's possessed by a legion of demons, and no one can bind him. He breaks the chains. He breaks the ropes. He cuts himself, and he screams out. He's naked like a wild animal, and he attacks people as they come by. No one can touch him. No one can hold him. No one can love him. No one can feed him. No one can show him comfort. No one can help this man. And Jesus steps his foot onto the shore, and that legion of demons comes tearing out of the tombs, flees from themselves, throw themselves at his feet, and say, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Because demons know who the king is. When you figure out who the king is, you realize that you're not him. Are you okay? When you figure out who the king is, you realize that you're not him. I don't mind bowing down to the king of kings and the lord of lords because I want angels and demons and all of earth to realize that I have a king. He's potent. A legion of angels throw themselves at his feet. I just have a question. What would happen, just imagine, if Christians even worshipped as much as those demons? Just as much as a demon? That's all I'm asking. What would happen if Christians would submit themselves to the authority of Jesus Christ? And say, what do you want with me, Jesus Christ, son of the most high God? Does anybody think that might change the world? It, it'll, it'll change my world. 
It'll change your world. In fact, I'm going to give you a challenge, okay? This is a 30-day challenge. And, and uh, scratch that, 30 days. Try it for a week. I'm just asking you to try it for a week. Roll out of bed, and instead of their first thought being whatever your first thought is when you roll out of bed, roll out of bed and just worship as much as a demon. Just get on your knees and say, what do you want with me today? Jesus, son of the most high God, and see what God leads you to do. And then just do what the king tells you to do. Huh? How many of you are willing to take that challenge? Okay, okay. One week, and I want to hear some testimonies, okay? I guarantee you, if you do this, you will have a story to tell. Some pe- I've, I've had people come up to me and go, Zach, I, I know you're really, <laughs> they don't understand me. They don't know. When I came to the church, I was this guy. <clears throat> Zach, I know you. You're demonstrative in worship. That's just, you're just a passionate person. There's no way in hell I'm going to let a demon out worship me. Did you hear what I just said? There is no way I'm going to let a demon beat me to the throne of grace. What are you talking about? Oh, some of us are just not as passionate as you are, Zach. Well, what do you not understand about the gospel? What, have you forgotten what you've been saved from? Don't forget, guys. Don't ever forget. The day I forget is the day that I forget to come to the feet of Jesus Christ. The moment I forget is the moment I am not at the feet of Jesus and I act like me again. Philippians 2, 10 through 11 says, At the name of Jesus, every knee in heaven and on earth and under the earth will bow and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. There are stories of missionaries before the Iron Curtain fell. They'd sneak Bibles in into the Soviet Union, into China. And one of those stories, one of the missionaries was talking to someone about Jesus. And you had to whisper and you had to sneak and you had to hide and just whisper the name of Jesus to this person. And somebody across the street came running across the street and threw themselves on the ground. Because he whispered the name of Jesus and the name of Jesus was precious. It wasn't a cuss word. What would happen if the name of Jesus became precious in our hearts again? What would happen if we fell madly in love again? Are you guys okay? See, the thing is, if I, I, want, I want heaven things to happen here. And I believe the Bible's full of examples of heaven things happening on earth. And if we want the things of heaven to happen on earth, we have to do the things of heaven on earth. And I don't know if you've noticed or not, but everything that happens in the book of Revelation happens in an atmosphere of worship. We finished reading Revelation chapter 3. If you go to Revelation chapter 4, John walks into the throne room of God, and there's four crazy-looking woolly booger creatures with eyeballs all over them and all these wings and faces like wild animals, and they're crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, nonstop, 24-7 for eternity. Their ministry is the ministry of perpetual awe. 
they never stop being shocked at the holiness of God. Every time they think they've come to the end of his holiness and they think maybe that's it, they see another aspect of his infinite glory and cry, holy. That's why they never stop. That's why they can't get bored because he's infinitely fascinating. And the Bible says every time they cry out, the 24 elders around the throne of God fall down on their faces before the Lord and cast their crowns at his feet. Jesus is enthroned on a mountain of the crowns of men. That's what heaven looks like. If I want the things of heaven to be released on earth, I have to do the things of heaven on earth. Are you with me? But that's not our culture. Listen, it's not heaven's job to submit its culture to our culture. It's our culture. It's our job to submit our culture to heaven's culture. I've gone all over the world, and I've had people from every nation I've gone to say, that's not our culture. We're Dutch. We're German. We're French. We're Polish. We're Russian. Are you part of the kingdom these days? Because you renounced your citizenship to this world when you became a citizen of heaven. So now I submit my earth culture to heaven culture so that the things of heaven can be done on earth. You guys okay? Is this too hard? Are you hearing me? Are we okay? Can we be friends? Okay. As long as that guy's with me. Okay. There's a story, one of my favorite stories in the Bible that illustrates all three of these things and I think is beautiful. You guys know this story. It's Luke Chapter 7, 37 through 48. And just to set it up, Jesus has been invited to a Pharisee's house named Simon. And Simon didn't invite him to the house because he wanted to show him hospitality and get to know him. Did you know that one of the highest virtues in the ancient world was hospitality? So even in in ancient mythology, if you didn't show uh, hospitality, the gods would be angry with you. So this guy knows exactly what he's doing when Jesus shows up and he treats him like he's beneath his contempt. When you come into a house in those times, everyone's feet are dirty because they've been walking in sandals through the streets, which aren't clean. They're full of dirt and donkey dung. They're full of junk and crud, and you're walking through that all day long. So when you come into a person's house, your feet are filthy, and the custom is to have a servant or someone who cares, take a bowl and a rag and wash the guest's feet. You greet them with a kiss. You anoint their heads with oil because they're a guest of honor. But Jesus shows up at this Pharisee's house and he gets nothing. And a Pharisee knows exactly how to honor a guest. Why do you think you would invite Jesus to your house and show him no honor unless you meant him to feel it? Unless you were sending him a message. This is what you're worthy of. This is your value to us. Jesus was invited in and shown no honor. As the dinner was going on, Luke 7 verse 37 says, when a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet weeping. Her tears fell at his feet and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. What's just happened? This woman, we don't know what 
her encounter with Jesus was like. Some people think this is the woman who is caught in adultery and brought to the feet of Jesus. Some people think this is the same woman that the Pharisees brought to her and said, should we stone her? We caught her in adultery. The word says that we're supposed to stone women who were caught in adultery. And he says, he was out sin, cast the first stone, and they all drop him and they leave, and then he forgives her. Some people think it's that woman, but it's someone who's done something that's bad enough that everyone knows her reputation. She's an immoral woman of the city, probably a prostitute. And she shows up to this house knowing that Jesus is going to be there. And she brings something precious to her. An alabaster jar, alabaster is a precious stone. And when it's carved, it's so thin that the light comes through it. It's, It's translucent. And this alabaster jar was filled with expensive perfume. Think about it. For a woman who's lived a life like this, this probably represents everything she'd ever done in her life. Every indignity that's been heaped upon her every abuse it is the sum cost of her life everything she has her retirement and she brings it into the room to show Jesus love and when she walks into the room the first thing she gets from the people in there is judged but she looks down and she sees something that breaks her heart In those days, they didn't sit at tables when they ate. They leaned on cushions, so they'd be leaning with a cushion in their armpit towards the table, eating with one hand, and their feet would be away from the table. So if you can picture the way Jesus was reclining at the table, when this woman walked in, she was confronted with with his feet, the feet that no one had bothered to wash because Jesus wasn't worthy to them. And she's in love with this man. And she's full of gratitude. And her heart is exploding with honor for him. And she walks in and she sees the dishonored, disrespected, mocked feet of her Lord with the detritus and the dung of Jerusalem still on them. And she begins to cry. She gets down on her knees. When I cry, I leak. This woman heaved. How much water does it take to wash the mud from someone's feet? She didn't cry rivulets. She didn't drip tears. She cried bowls. She wept and she wept and she wept until his feet were wet enough. She began to look around. What can I wipe his feet with? No one offered a towel. So she loosed her hair. Do you know that in in these days, a woman with her hair uncovered was considered a prostitute and an adulteress? Can you imagine in, in the presence of the Pharisees to let her hair down? She says, I know what you think of me and I don't care. I know how you see me and I don't care. The only thing I care about is this man, my Lord. The Bible says that a woman's hair is her glory. She looses her glory and she uses her tears and her glory to scrub the dung off of the feet of Jesus Christ. Kissing him, constantly weeping and kissing him. Then she takes the sum total of her wealth and she breaks it and lavishes it on him. 
wiping with her hair, kissing. Jesus turns to the Pharisee and he sees, do you see this woman? Simon, do you see her? When I came into this room, you didn't greet me with a kiss. You didn't offer to wash my feet. You didn't anoint my head with oil. But this woman has not stopped washing my feet with her tears. She's not stopped kissing my feet since she came in here. And she's poured out everything to show me honor. She says, Simon, I tell you, he who has been forgiven much loves much. This woman has shown me love. Do you know this is the only place in the entire Bible where Jesus says someone showed him love? This, this is the only place where Jesus says, I've been loved here. Wow. And listen, when he said, he who's been forgiven much loves much, that doesn't mean that I'm to judge other people by the way they behave and say, oh, you must not have been. I've been forgiven a whole lot. That's why... That's not what that's about. What this is about is I can tell whether or not I remember what I've been saved from by the love that gushes out of me. This woman remembered what she'd been forgiven for, and she gushed with love because she hadn't forgotten. She hadn't forgotten. That's worship. She let the posture of her body reflect the posture of her heart towards Jesus. Did she adore him? Did she prostrate herself before him? Did she kiss? Did she express her love? That is proskuneo, and that is worship. Now listen, I was going to share my testimony with you guys, but the kids are in here. <laughs> So I just want to tell you this. The Bible says that if you've broken one of the commandments, you've broken all of them. So by the time I was 23 years old, I was not a good person. I'd broken all of the commandments. And one day I found myself in a clinic in Austin, Texas, about to make a bad decision on top of a bad decision on top of a bad decision. And my life had been the sum total of mistakes, mistakes, mistakes. And I realized for the first time in my life, I felt conviction for the first time in my life that I had sinned against God. You want to look at an adulteress? I, I, I was faithless. I was lawless. I was godless. I was hopeless. I was lost. I was the murderer. I might as well have been the prostitute. And that day, God's conviction touched me for the first time in my life, and I spent nine months running from it. Nine months trying to get as far away from God as I possibly could. I had no idea how to make him happy. I cracked open the Bible, and every time I read it, all I heard was, you're so stupid, you're so stupid, you're so stupid. I know, you're a sinner, you're a sinner. I know, I didn't have the Holy Spirit. I didn't have anything. I didn't know what to do. And so I ran. And one day I was 
laying in the grass in an art museum in Austin, Texas, in the middle of summer. Look, guys, the sun in the summer in Austin isn't like the sun here in the summertime. The sun here in the summer, like, smiles at you. The sun in the summer in Austin, Texas is angry, and it doesn't like you, and it wants to peel your flesh off of your bones. It, it's trying to get revenge for something that I don't know. You know, I don't understand what I did, but it wants to take it out on me. That's the sun in Texas. It's so bright. It's blindingly blight, bright, and I was laying there in the grass, and I was looking at the sun, and I was coming to terms with the fact that I was going to go to hell, and if that's how it is, fine. And a miracle happened. And I, I, I was sober. And the sky opened up above me. And a light came down around me. It was brighter than the sun. And in the middle of that white, hot brightness stood a figure glowing like tungsten. And he was so beautiful. He didn't have to tell me who he was. I knew exactly who he was. I want to tell you something. You were knitted together in your mother's womb by the hand of God. He knew you before that. He spoke you into existence. He related to you before you existed. And he said, exist. He called your name out of nothing and made you something. Your heart knows this, God. Your heart knows his voice. Your body was knitted together by him, and when you're in his presence, you feel it. I was standing in the presence of a God that I hadn't even met yet. And he told me that he loved me. And then he, he shared the gospel with me. I heard the gospel from Jesus. greatest miracles in the history of creation is that we have a God. This is what I realized in this one flash of brightness, what I realized. I have a God who stepped into the room of my life just like that woman came to the feet of Jesus Christ and he looked down from his throne and he saw me covered with the dust and the dung and the detritus of my life and instead of judging me, he adored me. And the king of all creation stooped down low. He came as a baby to live a life like we live, to suffer and to feel and to relate and to love. And to cleanse my life and my feet, he shed something that was far more precious than tears. He shed his own blood. his glory to scrub me clean. And then the God of the entire universe took what was most precious in the universe, most precious to his own heart, the alabaster jar of heaven, his own son, and he broke him and he poured him out so that I could be clean. 
gospel is the demonstration of the love of God for me. Worship is the demonstration of the love of Zach for the God of the gospel. The gospel is the demonstration God so loved the world. When he looks at you, he doesn't see dirt. When he looks at you, he sees lovability. God so loved you that he sent his only begotten son that whoever believed wouldn't perish but would have everlasting life. God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we're still sinners, Christ died for us. He stooped low. He shed his blood. He poured himself out so that I could be clean. And now this heart, just like that woman caught in adultery, I cannot not respond to that. And so I said to him, if you really love me that much, I can't spit in the face of that kind of love anymore. I'll do anything you want me to for the rest of my life. And in that moment, I didn't just become a believer. The Bible says demons believe and tremble. You're a believer? Good for you. Hell believes. I didn't just become a believer. I became a worshiper. I became a worshiper. To love the Lord with all of my heart and my soul, my mind, and my strength. I want to invite you today to respond again to the God who stooped low for you, who adored you, who expressed it through the cross for you. maybe for the hundredth time, maybe for the first, and as the Holy Spirit leads you, I want to ask you to do just simply what the demoniac did. What do you want with me? Jesus, Son of the Most High God, I'll do anything you want me to for the rest of my life because I can't spit in the face of that kind of love anymore. If you close your eyes, If you want to, if you're feeling led, I want to encourage you to find a space somewhere. Maybe it's right where you're sitting. You can stay seated if you want to, but you might want to bow down. You might want to get on your knees. You might want to lay on your face. That's okay. You might want to find a corner. And I want to ask you this. Ask him, what do you want with me? Jesus, Son of the Most High God. You gave your life as a demonstration of love. How can I now demonstrate my love for you? Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please connect with us at unitechurchak.org. We hope to see you soon.